He's going to read our scripture passage for this morning. So we've got two passages of scripture for today's message. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly, firmly to the word of life. In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 6, 16, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. It's this great image of how we can go about life. When you find yourself at a crossroads, when you find yourself needing to make one decision or the next, the advice the scripture gives us is to turn around and look at where people have come before you, to ask for the wisdom of those who have already walked these paths, or at least paths similarly which is why we're finding ourselves in the middle of a series this summer called The God of Our Fathers, taking a look at the lives of men and women down on through the years who have lived out their Christian faith in many different ways at different points in time, at different places in the world, and in just very different ways. And this morning we continue by taking a look at the life of Benedict of Nursia, who lived 1,500 years ago. He lived during the decline of the mighty Roman Empire. And as a young adult, Benedict grew dissatisfied with big city life, and abandoned his studies in Rome in search of a simpler way of life. He returned to the region he was familiar with, and after a chance encounter with a monk named Romanus, he decided to live in solitude in a cave for three years. Can someone say introverted? Like, I like alone time. I can hack a couple of days. I've even been kind of alone for for a few days at a time, and I enjoy that. But three years in a cave. Like, some of us can't even camp. This picture here actually is, they've built a monastery kind of over the site where he began this journey, and you can actually go in, and there's a place where you can actually see the cave where he spent three years of his life. And so, Benedict was... Um, a hermit, basically, for this time. He didn't have a lot of contact with the outside world, except for with this guy, Romanus, who he had met on the road. And he would come to him and provide food for him as he needed it, and he would be a conversation partner with him. Now, evidently, Romanus kind of went back to other people and started talking about the experiences that Benedict was having and, and sharing about his wisdom and this depth of spirituality that he had, because people started kind of coming to him and saying, hey, we would like you to lead us in this kind of spiritual experience that you're having here. And so reluctantly, he gathered a following. He took over the leadership of a local group of monks, um, but 
He had a different style of leadership maybe than they were used to. He had a, a different sense of what it would mean to follow Jesus in a community like this. And so they tried to poison him. Not once, but twice his followers tried to kill him. Somewhat miraculously, he survived this and decided, enough of this business, I need to start my own monastery. So he did. In fact, he started a dozen in that region, eventually founding Monte Cassino, which is this beautiful place which stands um, in Italy to this day. But it's not just a beautiful structure like this that Benedict has left us. He's left us a lot more than that. And one of the most significant impacts that he has had on the Christian faith is through what's known as the rule of St. Benedict. It was written around the year 530, so nearly 1,500 years ago. It was meant to be a detailed description of life in a monastic community. So these men who would gather together and live in this intentional religious community, how would they do life together? He included a rhythmic cycle of common prayer, daily work and study, and included all manner of details about how they would live life together. Now, don't bail out too soon. You may be thinking, why are we talking about monks? That's not me, this has nothing to do with my life. I want to encourage you to allow this morning's father to challenge you. At the very beginning of this rule of St. Benedict, he writes this, listen carefully, my son, to the master's instructions and attend to them with the ear of your heart. This is advice from a father who loves you. Welcome it and faithfully put it into practice. Now, none of us like rules, you know, we, there are all kinds of rules that annoy us, and when we gather around discussion table, we can vent some of those to one another, that'll be fun. Um, my kids don't like rules, and there are a number of rules they don't like. I think probably the one they like the least are rules about Wi-Fi, okay, like, like, like it turns off at a certain time at night, which is particularly embarrassing when they have friends sleep, sleeping over, and I turn off their friends' Wi-Fi as well, so they just can't be online all night. So there are rules that, that people don't like, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. And so here we have Benedict coming up with this list of rules, and there are a number of rules, some of them very specific about how they should live their lives. In the words of Benedict, at the very beginning, he says, it is called a rule because it regulates the lives of those who obey it. This isn't about preventing you from having fun. It's about creating structure to enhance the life of faith that you are trying to live out. Proverbs 16.25, the Bible says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There are all kinds of directions that we would be happy to walk in, but it ends up causing us harm and, and causing us to live life that falls short of how God has created us to live. And so we need to find out, well, what way should we go? Benedict expects that obedience must be carried out, not cringing or sluggish or half-hearted, he writes, but free from any grumbling or any reaction of unwillingness. Now, he kind of echoes the words of Paul that we heard read for us this morning in Philippians 2. I'll just read them again so they're fresh in our minds. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. So here the kind of blameless and pure life it's not easily acquired. It requires effort. We've got to continue to work out this faith. So Benedict uses the same dual path of obedience and humility that Paul writes about in Philippians 2. 
We need to obey the rules that have been laid down for us, and we need to have a humility with it, not complaining, not arguing. Thomas Moore wrote an introduction to St. Benedict's Rule, a modern printing of it, and he writes, the rule gives flesh to a vision in which certain values are given higher status than they would have in an ordinary society. Our culture has an idea of what things matter the most, and Benedict it was the same thing 1,500 years ago, but he said, no, 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 in this community, we're going to value some things differently than the world around us. An example would be about private ownership. In the monastery, you could not own anything. Above all, he wrote, this evil practice must be uprooted and removed from the monastery. So why are we talking about this? We're not about to give up private ownership. That would be a real mess. It might be fun for some of us, but, but it would be a real messy thing. Why are we talking about this? None of us can live up to his rule, so why would we bother studying it and learning about it? Another author talking about this concept of a rule of life and thinking about, well, if we don't go exactly by Benedict's rule, we can still follow the principle of it. He says that the goal would be to reorder our pattern of life from a basically non-Christian existence to one that is basically Christian. So rather than allowing, again, the world around us to kind of start foundation and then add some religion onto it, we start to form a life that is religious through and through with maybe some others added, other things and elements added around the outskirts. The point being that every thought and every word and every action has spiritual significance. And so can we structure our lives in a way that we take that seriously? St. Benedict wrote, do not be daunted immediately by fear and run away from the road that leads to salvation. It is bound to be narrow at the outset. It's going to be challenged to try to think about structuring our lives in a way that is different from the way that we've lived before. When I was thinking about this, the difficulty between trying to imagine the life of a, of a monk or, or a nun, someone who lives in this intentional religious community with our own lives, I thought of the, the classic Jack Black movie, Nacho Libre which is a, a wonderful example of someone who tries to do just this. Jack Black's character is a, a cook in a monastery, but he has this passion for wrestling. And so this is about this struggle where he tries to find an outlet to, to live as this wrestler. Um, and he actually discovers in the course of the movie that, that being a wrestler can actually help the life of his, of his uh, monastery, that it can actually prove to be a, a benefit. And I was thinking about it, that... The reverse can also be true as we think about this idea of these monastic practices and these people who live this very different life that, that maybe actually including some of their practices could be a benefit into our daily lives. So I'll close with this thought and I'm going to pass, uh, invite someone else to come up and share in just a moment. Thomas More, again in his introduction to the rule of St. Benedict wrote that the monk is not an anachronism nor is the rule of St. Benedict antique and irrelevant. It is modern life rather that is not in accord with the fundamental needs of the human heart. From the viewpoint of the human soul, our modern style of living is the irrelevancy. So, a few weeks ago, our very own Helen Croker had an opportunity to spend some time studying Benedict's teaching among a group of people who live by this rule in their daily life. So I'm gonna invite Helen to come on up and share about her experience and what she learned. Thanks, Brandon. I'm glad that disturbing picture of Jack Black is no longer up on the screen. It was up for way too long, like, like way too long. Um, good morning, everyone. So as Brandon said, during the last week of June, I had the opportunity to spend some time um, in focus study, taking a course through Wycliffe College at 
uh, the University of Toronto. The course was on Benedictine spirituality and the foundations of the new monasticism. And when I chose it, I didn't know this series was coming up, but it seems to be timely, so I'm happy to share this morning. Now, you're probably wondering, why would you take a course like that? Why would you be interested in a course like that, and what exactly does that mean? Those are all fair questions, and I'll, I'll explain a little more as I, as I go on. But over the last few years, I've had a growing desire for a more contemplative way of living out my faith. I've been... Um, desiring to adopt rhythms that are quieter and simpler. I don't know if it's a reflection of my stage of life or my personality or both, but having spent many years trying to pray more, read more, and do more, I now find myself wanting to engage my faith in a different way, uh, learning to be quiet before God, not arriving in prayer with a lot of my own words, or approaching the reading of Scripture with my own ideas about what the text is saying, but instead to have a more open posture in order to hear what God might be saying to me and even to our community here at Elevation. Um, Meister Eckhart, the German theologian, says the very best and noblest attainment in this life is to be silent and let God speak within. Now, I want to say here that, of course, there's a place for calling out to God and bringing our needs and desires to him or in wrestling with scripture when we're trying to understand theology. But from my church background and through most of my life, I was inclined to practice more asking than listening and more talking. No jokes here. Uh, if you've attended uh, the last two winter retreats, you'll have experienced, um, we, we have practiced Lectio Divina, where we sit in front of Scripture, we open a passage of Scripture, we sit in groups, we read it once, we read it twice, we read it three times. With a sense, we try to pay attention to what God might be speaking to us through words or phrases, and it's a very helpful way of coming to the Bible. Um, and it's, it's been very um, enlightening and helpful to me in my own journey. Now, I want to say that there's a risk when you go away to a course or a workshop or a conference and you come back and you're all excited about it and you want everyone else to jump right on. So I want to say that what I'm sharing today is not a plan. It's not a way to fast-track your spiritual life. It's not the latest group of ideas, but it's me sharing my observations on what I saw about a model of life woven with the threads of silence, prayer, scripture, work, and leisure. Not separated, and that's the important part, but all one and lived out in community. The Benedict Rule, as Brandon has referred to it, is known as a little rule for beginners. It was written, as he said, by Benedict in the 6th century for the monks living in the monasteries. The monasteries at that time, and he showed a picture of, of a beautiful monastery there, they were the powerhouses of their time. They were the centers of activity. Um, they housed um, hospitals. They were places of communal living. The poor went there to be fed. They welcomed travelers um, acting as a hostel. And the rule was written in an effort to bring order to them and to provide a guide for living out faith in the ordinary, so in the day-to-day, -day, a life centered on Christ through the balance of prayer and work. At that time, the culture, as Brandon has also referred to, um, was decadent. It was crumbling around Benedict, and his rule would actually help to reform the church, and historians believe that that laid the groundwork for the development of, of Western civilization. So this guy made his mark on the world. The rule has endured over 1,500 years and forms the basis for liturgy in the Anglican Church 
as well as other newer expressions of monastic life and practice. Some of you will be familiar with Shane Claiborne and his a community in Philadelphia called The Simple Way. He's sort of known as a, a new monastic, and um, he founded this community. Basically, I, I'm not terribly familiar with the community, but I think it, it is modeled on these practices. Um, possibly as a counter to the frenetic way that we live in the 21st century, there's been a renewed interest in the rule over the last few decades, right across denominational lines. So elements of the rule have even been observed in Mennonite and Shaker communities. And even in our own community, um, Graham and Rachel Watson um, are living in community with Eric Jetweiler and two other people, um, sharing space, food, the mortgage payment, but it's not just about sharing expenses. They, they are um, trying to be intentional about the way they live. And, and so that's a small um, uh, way that we can see it playing out in our own community here. Now, before I go on with the actual rule, I want to tell you a little more about the course. So it was held at a convent in North York, the Sisterhood of St. John the Divine. I think there's a picture coming. Um, uh, it's a convent of Anglican sisters. It's been, it was established over 100 years ago. Yes, I lived in a convent for a week. Before you picture a bunch of women who couldn't find husbands all living together, I want to tell you about a group of intelligent, educated, and committed women who are living out a calling of prayer, community, simplicity, and service. Theirs is a monastic community patterned on the rule of Benedict. The course, was by, with the course was taught by Sister Connie. She's an adjunct professor at Wycliffe College, and 30 years ago she gave up a tenure professor, uh, position in the U.S. to respond to a call to live in community. So my own husband has struggled with um, finding, uh, achieving tenure, and so partway through the week I sent him a text and said, yeah, the professor here, she gave up a tenure position um, to come here and live in community, and he said, that's cray. I'm not doing that. <laughs> you see where his dedication is. Um, the class consisted of a diverse group of people between the ages of 25 and 79, so there's still time, um, included a refugee lawyer, a filmmaker, assorted lay and professional ministry folks, some Wycliffe students working on their degrees, as well as a couple of sisters from the convent. This diversity made the class really interesting and made our discussions very lively, and I thrived on it. Uh, in the morning, I would get up and just think, yes, I have another day of this. I love this. Um, a variety of church affiliations were represented, including my own Plymouth Brethren background, the Meeting House, assorted community churches, along with some Anglicans and Catholics. So being able to actually live at the convent meant that I was given the opportunity to observe up close a community modeled on the rule of Benedict. The sisters meet for prayer, song, and liturgy four times a day. The services were short, but they were regular, and you could see that that formed the backbone and the rhythm of their communal living. Sorry, take some water. One of the most interesting parts for me during the week, and it provided a bit of a challenge, was that we had to eat in silence. So we sat around tables with either our classmates or some of the sisters. Um, we could kind of like nod and smile at each other, but no one could say a word. So 
Um, for those of you who know me, and many of you do, I'm an extrovert, and when I meet you, I want to know all about you. Like, I want to know everything. Like, where did you come from? And especially in that context, I wanted to talk to the sisters and say, why are you here? How did you get here? Like, do you like living here? Um, but I had to be quiet. The sisters use their meal times as prayer time, so they don't sit with their eyes closed, but it's just their time to be quiet. So um, we all just had to do it. We had to comply with it. By about Wednesday, the course started on Monday, by about Wednesday, I was sort of getting in the groove of this, and by Friday, I was welcoming it. Um, I came to understand the value of withholding my words and just being quiet. Um, it actually had a calming effect on me. The meal was dismissed um, formally, so if you finished your food before the meal was dismissed, there was like a shelf under the table and you could take a, something to read and they encouraged you to spend that time reading. So you would think in that context that there would be like a Bible or a prayer book or something. No. There were copies of The New Yorker, The Atlantic, gardening magazines and decorating magazines. The sisters were up on politics, current news and popular thoughts and ideas. So about the rule, the one thing that struck me about the rule as I prepared for the course is its simplicity. It's a simple, practical rule. It speaks to our humanness. It addresses the things that are core to who we are, and it is a guide for life in the ordinary. It's based on the gospel, and it instructs us how to live that gospel out. But it's not so strict that we can't live by it. It doesn't make you feel guilty. It's a gentle rule, as I've said, and its goal is to form and shape us to be more like Christ and to live in community and at peace with everyone. The rule has 73 chapters, but it's not an elaborate list of do's and don'ts. It encourages regular patterns of prayer and reading scripture with the goal that those patterns will sustain us when we need help. I think sometimes people think, oh, just that rote repetition, those rote prayers, those rote readings, um, they just become dead after a while. But one of my classmates in the course reflected that um, growing up in the church didn't really prepare her for the crises in her life. And now that she's pursuing this way of um, living through the church she attends, she's noticed that she can rely on all of those things that are going deep into her um, to help her navigate her way. Um, sometimes we get stuck trying to figure everything out, find a reason for everything. But just immersing ourselves in these rhythms of prayer and reading can actually have the effect of relieving that pressure. Eugene Peterson talks about reading the Bible as a dog gnaws on a bone. So just that rhythmic chewing and, and, uh, and it going into us. So I'm only going to, you'll be relieved to know that I'm only going to talk about three of the values of the 73. Um, Values, Brandon's already referred to some of these, but values such as obedience, stability, conversion, equality, humility, contemplation, creative work, community, justice, peace, stewardship, and so on. The rule begins with the word listen, and maybe that's why I was attracted to this material. Um, listening to God, listening to yourself, and listening to others. Brandon referred to the negative aspect of a rule. We don't like rules. Um, so it might more aptly be understood as a way of life. And even though we have the Bible to guide us, sometimes we can feel lost or overwhelmed in our desires to live fully as Christians. The interesting thing for me when I was um, doing the reading that I had to do in preparation, um, and it was, some of the reading was a little bit challenging. One of the books was, um, 
what was it called? Monasticism, I don't know, monasticism in the Middle Ages or something. And I was like, oh, this is awful. This is dry. It's so boring. And Ron picked it up and said, oh, this is so fascinating. You get to read this? So could you just read it and just give me a little review of it to take along? Um, but uh, where was I here? Um, so yeah, the interesting thing for me was that my reaction to the reading and the prep was more one of freedom than it was um, feeling burdened. Um, the idea of praying frequently, but briefly and deeply, um, more meaningfully, and weaving those spiritual practices throughout the day on the model of the, the four times of prayer at the convent. One of our scripture readings this morning came from 1 Corinthians, run in such a way as to get the prize. Benedict says, listen readily to holy reading and devote yourselves often to prayer. Every day with tears and sighs, confess your past sins to God in prayer and change from these evil ways in the future. He says, you can't get the spiritual life by waiting for it. You have to reach for it. And I found that to be really interesting. Um, that I think we know that, but we actually have to reach for it. Read things that gild your soul, turn your mind to prayer, to a conscious response to God present here and now. The commentator of the, the book that I had to read alongside the rule, the spiritual says the spiritual life is not something that is gotten for the wishing. The spiritual life takes discipline. It's something to be learned, to be internalized. It's not a set of daily exercises. It's a way of life, an attitude of mind, an orientation of the soul. I love that. And it's gotten by being schooled until no rules are necessary. I've told you about my struggle to be quiet during the meals at the convent. And I'd been struck while reading the rule um, in preparation for the course by what Benedict says about the words. Do we have Psalm? Do we have a passage from Psalm up here? Um, I've resolved to keep watch over my ways that I may never sin with my tongue. I was silent and was humbled. And I refrained even from good words. Even from good words. Silence is cornerstone to the Benedict life and spiritual development. But it's not just about not talking. The goal is a respect for others, a sense of place, a spirit of peace. Um, the emphasis being not on complete silence, but on more thoughtful talk, more restraint in our talk. We can actually use silence to be controlling, um, and that's not the idea here. The idea is to be quiet, to listen for the voice of God, even in, in um, context of a, a, a community discussion, like our discussion tables. And please don't take these words too, like we don't want silence in there this morning, so um, don't take these words too closely to heart. But, um, <laughs> but when I ref if I'm too busy talking, and even if I think I have great ideas and good words, when I refuse to give place to others, and when I consume all the space with my own sounds, and my own truths, and my own wisdom, and my own ideas, even my good words, there's no room for anyone else. Um, Benedict goes on to talk about someone who makes light of everything, joking all the time, and how that minimizes our spiritual lives, and our spirits wither from a lack of beauty and substance. Learning to withhold my words was something I had to learn at the convent. I didn't need to be heard, even if I thought I had something good or helpful or honest to say, or if I wanted to know about someone else's life. It's about discipline, and it had a good effect on my spirit. Moving on to prayer. Many people struggle with prayer, not knowing what to pray, not praying enough, feeling that prayers are not answered. This is what Benedict says about prayer. 
not long hours spent in chapel or church or quiet time, but a lifetime lived in the Spirit of God because the chapel time was swift and strong, quick and deep, brief, but soul-shaking. Prayer is to be short and pure, he says, not long and tedious, not long and majestic, not long and grand, no. Benedictine prayer is to be short and substantial and real. The rest of life is to be impelled by it. I invite you to think about that for a minute, um, to think about feeling less pressure to pray longer and pray more. Not that those are bad things and not that there aren't seasons of time when we should be doing that, but that we pray more deeply and that, that those deep prayers anchor us and sustain us. Maybe that means reading some written prayers or reading through the Psalms. Sometimes we need other words to give expression to our deepest feelings. Um, or it might just being the, be the discipline of being focused when we pray. Uh, holy leisure is the next one. I, find this val I found this value of the rule to be really helpful. Obviously, we live in a culture that's busy, and often if I say to you, how are you doing today? Or maybe you would say to me, how are you doing today? I might say, good, I'm busy. And we hear that a lot, as if busyness is a badge of honor, but we're all busy. And um, the Benedictine life is about balance. It's about a balanced life. Um, so leisure is part of the rule. It can be achieved with time away, with um, 15 minutes away, with an hour away. It doesn't have to be a big, expensive holiday. Um, often we work so hard that we collapse with Netflix because we can't keep going at the end of the day instead of putting rhythms in our day. By the way, the sisters do watch Netflix. And they watch uh, The Crown and Call the Midwife. Those are the two. Um, they also like movies, but anyway. Um, so I just want to tell you a brief story about one of the uh, sisters that was in the class. She's a, what's called a postulant. I was learning all this terminology. Um, she's a postulant, so she's spending a year at the convent to decide whether she wants to take her vows and live there. She's a um, nurse practitioner. She's working for the federal government in the U.S., and she's in Canada uh, spending time at the convent. So she, her job at the convent is to do the ironing. And she did admit that as a nurse practitioner, she felt like that was a little below her skill set. But that was kind of um, something that she was called on to do. And she'd been working really hard at this and feeling really tired. And so her superior, I don't know the name of that person, uh, came to her and said, I think it's time for you to have a break. And so she said, oh, okay, great. She said, you can go to the cottage for two weeks. She said, I've never had a two-week holiday in my life, and there's a cottage. So the convent owns a cottage in Muskoka. I'll admit to judging them a little bit for that. Um, but uh, Sister Suzanne, I think, is at the cottage. And, and the idea being that we need times of rest and relaxation in order for us to live more fully. As you can see, I could talk about this for hours. Just ask Ron. I quickly dropped the no talking bit the second I walked back in the door. Uh, but this is just a taste of what the Benedict Rule is about and how it has been and hopefully will continue to be meaningful to me. Um, as I look back over the last few years, I notice that the things that I've been reading and thinking about and drawn toward have largely been things that are reflected of, reflective of the Rule of Benedict without me knowing. So the week felt like a bit of a coming home for me. I don't want to join a convent, although the three meals... On, made for you every day, no dishes, no food to shop for, was, was appealing, I'll admit. 
Um, I don't really have desire to live in a permanent intentional community, but I can commit to immersing myself in some of the simple rhythms that I learned about. Um, and it might just be being attentive to praying rhythmically through the day, to praying briefly and deeply, um, but to be aware and to, to have a turning of the mind to the things that matter, to the things of God. We're all busy. Um, in this community, we have a lot of young families and the demands that come with young families, but I can assure you that every season of life has its busyness and its demands. I used to think, oh, I can't wait till the kids grow up and then I'll have all this extra time. And I am still waiting and the kids are long grown up. Um, so I just want to uh, wrap up here with um, the way that the day ended at the convent. So the final um, meeting of the day is called Compline. And that happened at 8.10 p.m. And I'm not sure why that time. Um, but it was about 20 minutes long. Compline is intended to shut down the day. It's very intentional. The words that were spoken were very, um, very beautifully written and intentional. And the goal is to recognize that what we did that day was not perfect. We hope that tomorrow will be better. And we go to bed trusting that the God who sees our every action is more concerned with our motives than our failures. The, the words from the liturgy, what is done is done. What is undone is undone. So let it be. I'm going to ask you in a few minutes, or in a minute or so, to stand with me, and we're going to read together um, a prayer of St. Benedict. Um, following that, we will, as is our usual practice, move into the gym to continue the conversation this morning. Um, don't restrain your words too much. However, discussion time actually is a time to think about being restrained with your words if someone else wants to, to share what they have on their minds. So I encourage you to allow that to happen. Um, there will be prayer happening in the study with Patricia Lang down the hall um, on the right. Uh, you can join her down there. Or as you've seen in your program, um, there will be opportunity to um, chat with Brandon up in the upper room during discussion time this morning. So I'll invite you to stand. Let's read this together. Gracious and Holy Father, Give us wisdom to perceive you, intelligence to understand you, diligence to seek you, patience to wait for you, eyes to behold you, a heart to meditate on you, and a life to proclaim you through the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>